Hey, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Free the Geek FM. In this episode, I get to speak with Ophelia Lechat, the manager of operations at SitePoint.com, about managing people, building a content strategy, and getting developers to write. That's right, getting them to talk. I'll see you in a bit. Hey, hey, hey there, and welcome to the show. Welcome to another friendly and fun episode. Now, just before we kick off, I think I've been remiss in recent times about actually sort of saying how you can find more out about the show. If you want to find anything out about today's episode, if you want to find out anything more about the show, make sure that you go to freethegeek.fm or tweet me on Twitter. That's freeingthegeek. Now, why is it freeing the geek? Mainly because someone else has free the geek. And I thought, hmm, it's probably just an easy way just to go with something quite similar, but a little different. So, if you ever want to find me, and please do, find me on Twitter. Send me a message. Did you like the episode? Did you think it sucked? Do you think you could do better in this way or better in that way? Or, hey, I'd like to be on the show, or I know somebody who should be on the show. If it's any of those, tweet me anytime at freeingthegeek on Twitter. If you like anything you saw in an episode, and please, you can find out, as always, loads of information about each and every episode on the website, freeing the... <laughs> there I go, freethegeek.fm. Anyway, with all that said, with all that out of the way, in this episode, it is my absolute pleasure to have... Ophelia Lechat, who is the Manager of Operations at SitePoint.com, as my guest on the episode. Ophelia is a Melbourne-based Canadian, currently Head of Content. I did say Manager of Operations, didn't I? Anyway, that's what the website says. Um, Head of Content at SitePoint, one of the web's biggest resources for developers. Uh, Cheap plug and admission, I have written, uh, I think, quite a number of articles for SitePoint, so I am more than a smidge biased. Her about bio goes on to say, when I'm not working from our office in Collingwood, lovely area of Melbourne if memory serves, uh, I'm taking part in various startup-centric events around Melbourne, or knitting up a storm. Anyway, I don't know beans about knitting, and we didn't talk about that. So that's a bit about my wonderful guest. Now, the reason why I asked Ophelia to come on the show is because I really wanted to get her take on what it's like to manage such a large, large platform and to be involved in such a large platform. As I said, I'm, I'm quite biased because I did write for the platform for quite some time. I, I don't do it as actively as I used to, though I would really like to, but it's, it's just a matter of sort of time at the moment or time being not all that prevalent. Um, so I wanted to have a chat to her because uh, for one of my clients at the moment, they sort of posed a question to me when I first uh, was talking to them of how do you get developers to write? Now, now let's be fair. Uh, not all developers are good communicators. Though we can talk to each other with, with what's, what's the word? Um, rambunctious enthusiasm? Would that be the correct term, I wonder? Um, you know, we'll sort of, we'll yammer at length between ourselves and say, oh, I did this, I worked on this, this is how this works. Um, I'm thinking of Marco Pavetta at this point in time, who I am very appreciative for all that he shares with me. Very, very knowledgeable person. Um, but 
usually when it sort of comes to kind of getting up in front of a crowd or writing that down, so often time uh, we, we sort of seem to claim up in that respect and to find a developer who's also one, a good communicator and two, willing to communicate isn't an easy thing to do. So, I mean, SidePoint's been going for, uh, I actually don't know how long now. So I figured that, you know, they must have some sort of inside track, some inside secret about how to, how to do it and do it on a regular basis and do it well. And since I feel, and I, I'm a big believer in, in great documentation and about uh, writing and communicating as a way of, of helping you build your career, build uh, a personal brand, which can lead to a great career, I thought it would it'd be really important to look at this, I don't know, what would you say, mix of technical and soft skill um, as a way of, of helping you to, um, yeah, to build your own career. Now, you may not be a writer, you may not consider yourself good with words, you may not think that you have a way with words. Uh, English may not be your mother tongue. Uh, I'm, I'm using English as a reference because it is my mother tongue. But that, that doesn't really matter. I see writing as, you know, the, the specific mechanics as a skill that you can learn like any other skill. And hopefully through this interview, you can, you can see that. And you can see that, you know, it's, it's possible for anybody, no matter your level of skill or your willingness to overcome that and to, to grow your skills and to, and you can also see the benefits of, of what writing can bring. Anyway, it's a bit of a lengthy episode, but I love having lengthy episodes with wonderful guests but you, because you can get so much awesome information uh, from them. So with that, I will hand over to the fireside chat and I'll see you afterwards. Okay, so, so tell me about that because... Um, uh, the, the whole being prepared thing, yeah, I think it's more my wife kind of like, like beating it into my head. Um, so I, I'm, I'm I, much to my kind of embarrassment and I'm putting it out there that I never was necessarily that way. And for friends who are hearing this, it would be like, yeah, totally, like I was always late and I was always kind of, yeah, I'm totally going to get there and somehow managed it. So to hear, you know, the, <laughs> and yeah, sorry. You're using the, pa you're using the past tense. So I'm, I'm guessing that's either changed or that you won't admit to it still being true uh a bit of both like you know six or one half dozen the other um it's a bit of uh it, it is changing and there i can point to specific things but there is still an element of i'm i'm just not happy enough with it yet because i i, yeah, I, I, I still want it to be that. better i um oh gosh i think everyone who knows me <laughs> is hearing this and going oh this is so the opposite of a feeling mm -hmm. so um, part of, so you say being prepared, um, for me, that's, I just find such tremendous comfort in that both in personal life and in work life. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you don't have to sacrifice, um, being adventurous or being entrepreneurial or, or taking risks, but to me, it gives you that freedom. So for example, when I worked on radio shows and, um, I worked on live shows, so you would have, the previous day, reasonably, you'd, you'd plan things out about a week in advance. Mm -hmm. So the day before the interview uh, or the show itself, you'd sort of line up everything and have your final research done. And um, I was a research, research journalist, which means that you dive really, really deep into a topic for the host. The host on shows always sound like they know everything and they know the guest and they know the guest's history. And it's... um. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
it's all very fluid, but there's a ton of work that goes behind this. So we had a team of six people that would prepare questions and, and, you know, facts and have lists ready for the host for them to read the night before and to ask questions during the show. I might be, um, you know, tearing away some of the magic of live radio right nah, now nah, to, nah. to listeners, but that's, that's the behind the scenes. That's how it happens. And, um, you always had to have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D because things happen. You know, we were, we were a morning show. Uh, we kicked off just before nine o'clock on, on weekdays and you would have guests stuck in traffic. You would have guests cancel at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially when you're working with politicians or musicians or artists, uh, you just have to uh, to be flexible. So either you have something that's pre-recorded that you can substitute, or you know that um, this was for the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So it's this big organization, big, big, massive building in downtown Montreal. So you you kind of have an idea of who else is in the building that might be interesting. And sometimes it's a matter of calling them or calling their agent and saying, hey, we have a, sh- a spot on our show in 10 minutes. Can they be there? Mm-hmm. So just being really agile and always having several plans in your head so that when <laughs> the five plans that you were ready for collapse, you can still put on a show. Okay. You don't want dead air. And to the point where sometimes you kind of get your research journalists to go into the studio and you interview them and you kind of make up a show. Really? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I mean, that's that happened once mm-hmm. um, when I was there when you kind of, I think you, we ended up talking about different hobbies and it was sort of, okay, what, what show can we, or what 15-minute segment can we reasonably build out of the knowledge and the interests of the people here? So you just live with this constant level of paranoia Hmm. and you're constantly in your work planning for the worst case scenario. Um, The worst case scenario being, of course, that the the tech falls over and that the, you know, the 18 year old intern has to figure somehow the soundboard. So you're prepared for everything. Um, And it's a really great quality to bring to other work. It's a quality that I've used a lot. Uh, in in management and in in tech and in editorial, so yeah, it's it served me well. Okay. The paranoia is is a common theme in my life, and being like over prepared, right. it served me well. Okay, yeah, I, I think I could have done with that on a few sort of random holidays I took, and it's like, oh, so I'm kind of stuck here. And you mean you don't you don't accept that? Ah, <laughs> this is going to be a fun time. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, um, I moved to Australia. So as, as you hear, uh, mm-hmm. I'm North American, I'm Canadian mm-hmm. and moved to Australia in 2011. So that's, um, almost six years ago. Wow. Yeah. And w- technically we were, this is my, my now husband and I, um, very much underprepared. Mm-hmm. Didn't really research where we were going. We had friends in Melbourne. We thought, okay, that sounds like a good place to go. Mm-hmm. We were going to Tasmania, which is um, the state you have to fly to. It's an island. So we thought, ah, oh, we'll, we'll go to you know the next biggest city. Didn't have nearly enough money. Melbourne's a really, really expensive city to live in. Mm-hmm. So didn't have nearly enough money. Mm-hmm. I was a freelancer, so I made all my money from online writing and, and communications contract and content strategy contracts. Um, didn't realize that, for example, PayPal would lock my account when I tried to withdraw money to a new country. Uh, didn't realize how much rent would be or that you had to have payments up front. Okay. Um, so massively underprepared, but really used to rolling with it. 
So really used to saying, okay, well, that didn't work. What do we do now? Um, finding a job, finding new contracts through uh, going to meetups. And same thing for my, my partner. He ended up, you know, just putting yourself out there. And I, I, a lot of people were ready for us to come home and thinking, okay, well, they had their great Australian adventure that lasted six weeks. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it's been, it's been six years and we're still here. So it's just adaptability. So what, and it just makes yeah. it more fun. Okay, so that's interesting that you sort of combine like a, a sort of certain freewheeling with, with paranoia at the same time. That's kind of, it's, it's a curious <laughs> I, mix. I couldn't do, again, I think anybody who knows me very well and hears freewheeling is kind of rolling their eyes and going, oh God, no, everything is planned. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not true. I find that you can be, or I personally can be more creative and can be more easygoing when I don't have to worry. Yeah. When I, I know that, yeah. that things are taken care of, that, um, you know, it's, it's to bring a, a little back to my, my work at SitePoint, mm. um, where I'm, I'm now head of operations, but I've done a bunch of jobs, um, over there. So I started out as, you know, blog editor where I was editing blog posts and setting them to live and then managing a team of editors and then overseeing the, the different types of content. So books and courses and podcasts and articles and all kinds of things. Um, and now overseeing the operations of, of the whole Melbourne team. Yeah. And very early on when I was managing other editors, I would insist that they have a backlog of articles, that the schedule was set. So it wasn't, what am I publishing today? But it's, what am I publishing three weeks from now? Hmm. Which I know authors can find really tricky to deal with. But it's that, let's remove the uncertainty. Let's be sure about what we've got going tomorrow and next week so that we can be more creative about what we create for three weeks from now, for a month from now. Mm-hmm. And that means that over time, you're, you're never concerned about tomorrow. That just takes it out entirely. It's not even on, in your brain. Okay. And you get to focus on creating the best, most useful, most interesting stuff for your future audience, not for tomorrow's audience, but for the people reading you a month from now. I do like the approach. It, it reminds me of, I always had this idea and, and I think it's the, the, the little artistic nature side component of the personality um, that always had this idea that, or, or bought into, at least until I got older, um, that, the, you know, that starving artist kind of concept, that there's mm-hmm. always this freewheeling, but the chaos is what creates the, or allows the creativity to occur, that sort of preconception? Yeah. Well, I... I Yes, right. I get that too. I get that too. And at the same time, you read a lot about how the the defining or maybe the catalyst for great art is boundaries mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is is limits and how do you work against a limit and how do you create something you know, how do you make something come to life out of a canvas and some paints and how do you how do you use words to evoke emotion? Like they're completely different things. You're using something super limited. So that's words to invoke something human that's, mm. that's emotion. So it's, how do you work within a constraint to create something else? Um, so the, the idea of the starving artist for me is kind of that. Um, so yeah, maybe you are removing a little bit of the, the, the extreme possibly but i don't i tend not to delve in extreme too much that's mm. another personality trait yeah i was kind of I was picking that up from the just there was like, there was like a, like, a, like a string running through the things that you've been saying but it, but i find that uh, kind of a, a similar 
uh, appreciation of when that that sense of, of kind of madness was removed and when you don't have to wonder where um, for example I was always pretty terrible with with um, filing as as one specific example and so I'd never know when someone would say okay now I need you to get me this I'd be like oh it's in that pile somewhere it's, it's just in there I think <laughs> I really can't back that statement up so you'd always have these sort of concerns about if something goes wrong, what am I going to do? Um, but I just kind of accepted it as, as a sense of normal and then, you know, for, for reasons that would take way too long to explain, um, I sort of started to get away from that and thought, okay, how, how about if we kind of remove all this kind of madness? Let, let's, let's just experiment with not being the crazy mad, uh, air quotes, um, artist, if you will, and say... Uh-huh. <laughs> Now we're going to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to plan it out and I'll put a sense of like structured planning into what I write. Okay, here's a better example. I realize I'm meandering. Um, You put a sense of structure into what you write. So, okay, first we're going to write a title and that will sort of guide me to say, okay, what exactly am I going to do? And then you put like, so maybe an intro and then a conclusion and then a series of headers. And then from that sense of structure, now let your creativity um, be focused through that, that vein or that prism, if you will. And yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I found that that um, I've, the end result seems to be a lot better. You have a constraint to say, okay, you can't do everything. You have to pick maybe one or two or three things, or you know whatever the case may be, but a few. And then now let your creativity go to work, and let's see how good you are to make this come to light. Like you know, don't just you can't go everywhere. You have to do something specifically, and now focus it, and now really kind of push yourself to say okay i can't go f- further left than here and further right than there what can we do in the middle and as a result it seems to have produced a lot better quality of work yeah and you know i, I i'm not specifically trying to bring it back to to the web but you think of you think of browsers and you think of devices and limitations and that's sort of what it does is that we we started creating pages that we started creating content and creating um, things for people to interact with based on these limitations and always there's always new things so the limitations are getting fewer and fewer but we're always still working within boundaries and I think Mm. those of us who work in in tech and in tech editorial can kind of see where we're going and see a a very different future to what a casual web user sees Um, but we're still creating with what's available today and I think that makes for a much more interesting web. Mm. Um, And yeah, ideas just generally tend to thrive when you take away the burden, to me at least. And that's something that I I observe um, in managing people. Mm -hmm. So um, (sighs) to to bring it around, and this is kind of segueing perhaps way away, how did you get into journalism? How do you feel the the two, like journalism and, and the web sort of relate? like from your own perspective and experience? How did I get into journalism? Um, yeah. Or is it just well, from, from school and then uni? And... Yeah, well, in, in uh, university, I studied uh, economics and then I studied political science. And I realized that I really enjoyed the first two-thirds of each course. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a double major. So I enjoyed the first two thirds of my economics major, not so much the last bit. So I ended up switching, 
um, because I, I wanted to expand a little bit. So did political science and really enjoyed the first two thirds, but not the, not the last bit. And, um, realized that a career in either one of those or anything kind of related to, to that, the, the career opportunities that that opened up wouldn't be satisfying to me because they were all focused on the last third. It was always the research and the, the real world, world application. And I was just, just interested in the, the surveys of it. I was interested in the, the broad overview and how you could tie into other subjects hmm. and uh, where that would lead. So that led me to journalism because I really liked analysis. I really liked being able to tie different topics together. Hmm. I wasn't I wasn't super interested in doing economics research or um, although when I was in school in uni, um, behavioral economics was becoming more of a thing. Like that was around the time when Freakonomics came out, oh, and I remember yes. there was a, a huge influx of new students in the economics department. And I had a professor ask the the first year students. Uh, raise your hand if you're here because you read Freakonomics and about half the class <laughs> raises their hand and he goes, okay, you're going to be very disappointed until you get at least to the graduate level <laughs> because it, it, at undergrad, it just was not something that we, um, that we talked about very much. You have to learn the, the basics mm, okay. and, yeah. le and le learn them solidly before you can get to the rest. Um, so yeah, I, I knew I wasn't going to make a career in either one of those. Journalism seemed like a really good way to be always learning and be always figuring things out. And as I um, as I've mentioned, I was a research journalist for for a few years, which is a really good way to be super involved in a radio show without being on air, um, and really finding interesting topics and being very close to your audience, very close to the people on the show, very close to the host, and you just learn a ton. Mm. So I did. I did that for a little while. Um, then I did, um, I hosted for a little while. Um, for about a year, I hosted a, a news, like noon hour show uh, at a very small station in Montreal. And that was great. Hmm. That was fantastic. Um, but again, very small stations that didn't pay the bills. So oh. I also started doing communications on the side. So was, usually it was for nonprofits writing. Uh, and yes, it was, a, it was a bit of a conflict. I was writing press releases and I was... Uh, helping them with their social media and with which had gone on their website. Okay. And because I was working with such small organizations, a lot of the time it wasn't just figure out what should go on the website, but also how do you create the website? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> how, do, uh, how do you make a place for the content to go? Yep. So that was my was my introduction to um, to very very basic front end development, and just figuring things out and helping people fix um, either what they had or, or create what they wanted. Okay. So I did that for a few years and then um, moved overseas, moved to, to Melbourne from mm. Montreal. And uh, from there, as I said, I was freelancing for a little while, ended up meeting people through, um, through a local startup weekend. I'm not sure if you've heard of startup weekend. No, no, can't say I have. Well, let, let me tell you. This is <laughs> in our casual chat. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Startup Weekend is a worldwide, uh, let's call it an organization. I'm not sure if they actually are, but it's a worldwide series of events where people get together on a Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. They'll pitch ideas to each other, form teams, and then have until late Sunday to pitch their final idea and, and show what they've done. So sometimes you'll get people who create entire companies over the course of two and a half days. Uh, sometimes you have people who just dig really deep into a proof of concept. 
Okay. And do some research. And we've I've worked with people who've um, secured you know early funding, who've secured seed funding from from a startup weekend event. Yeah. So it's very it's fairly techy. I'd say most of the ones that I've been to have been tech only or mostly tech. Mm-hmm. And I joined mostly to meet people and to say, well, if anybody needs you know uh, somebody to to write or to research, I'm really good at both of those things. I can do some marketing stuff. Um, you know, just to, to lend a hand. Okay. And uh, the, the project I worked on was not anything that continued past the weekend, but I did meet a few people at uh, at the event who were really involved in Melbourne startup scene and the Melbourne tech scene in general. And that led to me uh, getting a job at Flippa. Now, Flippa is a marketplace for buying and selling web businesses. So that's websites and apps and um, any kind of online property, online real estate, domain names, that kind of thing. Mm. So I worked there for about two and a half years and Flippa is a sister company to SitePoint. So SitePoint is a publisher for web developers. So what we do is um, we want to help developers work as best they can and create the best web that we possibly can. So Flippa and SitePoint shared an office um, are, are still very close as companies and, um, of course, SitePoint being a publisher needed somebody with publishing knowledge at that point. So I ended up moving there about three and a half years ago, as I mentioned, as a very uh, junior blog editor. Mm. So in, in that role there, like, what do you find? Um, I, had a couple of, I had a couple of ways I was thinking of, of, sort of sort of going with something like this. Um, Mainly for like sort of like the the the, nerd, the developer sort of aspect, but when you get when someone's kind of writing for the first time, actually no, I'll I'll come I'll come to that in a bit, because um, some of what I do is um, I've got um, a documentation lead at a company called OwnCloud, and one of the questions that they they put to me when I was having a chat to them initially before starting there, they said, okay, how do you get a developer to write? Go, and I'm like. Okay, that's interesting. So I'm kind of curious from for your take on it. Like, how do you? Because obviously, you know, as you said, you want to get um, have uh, content sh- scheduled up in advance and get a developer to write it, so that you know you sort of get someone speaking from first hand experience. Absolutely. And, and a lot of developers can be, yeah, no, I just code, I just code, like you know, leave me be, or maybe I just a bit reluctant to, or sort of feel their voices through code rather than e- expressing themselves. Per se, how yeah. do you, how do you get them to say okay that just come out of your shell or, or whatever, and you can express it in words as well? I think not every developer will be comfortable or or even interested in writing it with words. That's mm-hmm. that's fine, but pretty much every developer I've worked with and everyone I know is interested in creating something that other people will be able to use and want to use. Mm -hmm. So that's document, like documenting what you do, documenting um, your code, like having useful comments within it, uh, comments that are not just reminder to self, comments that can help your teammates and and anybody else who's going to use this in the future. And you see this a lot, of course, in in open source projects, uh, where the whole idea is that other people will want to pick up your work and continue and work with you uh, or, or take it past you eventually. So I have never met a developer who's not interested in working with others 
on projects or, or doesn't have a vision for what they do helping others or somehow interacting with other people. And that's, it's, it's a desire for communication, right? And it doesn't necessarily need to be expressed in, um, in site point articles, though it can be if anyone's listening and wants to write, mm-hmm. uh, just get in touch, but it, it can be expressed in other ways. So how do you get a developer to write? Well, you, you find what they care about. It's the same as, as how do you get anybody to write? You find what they care about and maintainability is a huge thing. And interaction with other libraries and other um, other languages and other you know uh, anything else really, mm. um, depending on the project they're working on, is going to be a huge thing. So that's sometimes a really good place to start. How is this thing that you're building going to work with the other things that we use or the other things that we're building? Uh, how is somebody else going to maintain it? I had um, I had a meeting with our product manager today, and we were talking about the, an update to to SitePoint. And uh, he was saying, oh, you're going to love the documentation that that's so-and-so that one of our back-end developers put together for this. And it's a WordPress update. We can be up front here. SitePoint is actually a WordPress site. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not. SitePoint Premium and the forums are a little bit different, but SitePoint.com, the articles, um, pretty much a WordPress site with, with a few interesting things on the front end. But for somebody to say that, to say, like, you're going to love the documentation, and he wasn't being ironic. He was saying, like, somebody put a lot of, uh, my my coworker Pete, Mm. put a lot of care and a lot of thought into this so that it's not just, you know, oh, I did this thing. It's the next time somebody has to do this thing, here's how you do it. Uh, Here's how you, I'm going to dramatize here, but here's how you feel less alone when you're updating something that relies on dozens of plugins and dozens of custom custom stuff that we've built over the years. Okay, that's really interesting. Because I don't, I'm increasingly finding it common, but at least for some time, documentation seemed to be sort of considered like testing. Like, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm totally into that if I have time. <laughs> that's, I think that's an organizational problem. Yes. Um, and I've, I've definitely seen that, that sort of uh, testing. Yeah, either uh, somebody else will get to it or, yep, it's great in theory, but not, not for me. Sometimes it's because um, we think that our time is better spent on other things. And that's True. fine, too. And when you see, when you see you know, either Jira or Trello or whatever you use, um, when you see your agile board just pile up and you've got people asking for status updates and it's, it's overwhelming, it can feel really tough to dedicate the time to testing and dedicate the time to documentation. Um, but it's, it's a cultural problem in some ways and something that we're really, really conscious of that I personally am super conscious of at SitePoint and that, Mm -hmm. um, we as a team are, and, and not only as a, as an internal team, but as a team of people who write for other developers at other companies and and in other teams. So that's the first thing is really that, that tapping into that caring for what happens to your project eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, Another another way that I've found, and this is maybe more of a tip um, or a trick, it's not a way to get people to do it, but you remove as many barriers as you can, the same way that you get anybody to do anything, really. So one thing um, that we've done at SitePoint is we, do, we record interviews with people instead mm. of getting them to write. And we've done that a lot with our, our team in Melbourne, but also I know other authors have used that for, for other projects, where... Somebody says, oh, I'm not really a writer, but they're working on something so interesting that you just want the information. So you have a chat with them and you take it, you can either approach it from a totally non-technical perspective and just get them to, to 
tell you what this thing does. Mm. Or you have another developer kind of quote interview them uh, so that you you get this really interesting conversation between two people who know what they're talking about and are mutually curious. Uh, and that's, that's a first step or you get them to write you bullet points and then you, you sort of help them flesh out this outline. We were talking about the, the importance of an outline and the importance of being organized and, and seeing ahead. Well, that's one way to do it Okay. is to, is to set up your, set up your writing process in a way that's not so daunting. It's not, you know, I'm staring at the blinking cursor and I don't know what to do. And code seems so much simpler because you, you just know where to start with this uh, or you're starting midway through a project. Whereas an article or a, or a book, gosh, let's not even talk about a book, <laughs> but any kind of, any kind of writing project yeah. just seems so daunting at the beginning. Um, but if you can just get out, what am I trying to communicate here? What am I trying to get out here? And the importance of a good editor or a good reviewer is mm. paramount. It's it's so 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 important. You haven't installed like a bug on my computer, have you? Because I swear you're reading my mind there. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> well, look, I, uh, I you we've worked together um, on SitePoint, and mm. I I like to think that I, I have a decent understanding of what um, what the people we work with and what our authors and our editors. Um, do and the, the challenges that they face. So um, I'm a little bit more removed these days from editing. As I, as I mentioned, I, I'm now um, head of operations at SitePoint. Mm -hmm. So I work with all of our different teams, not just editorial. Um, but yeah, I think part of my, my thing is always going to be content and, and editorial and understanding what makes people want to read or want to consume. Oh, I hate saying consume content, but I think that's, that's the most straightforward way of explaining it. Yeah. Um, across all media types. Yeah, across across all media types. Okay. Uh, so understanding what drives people to what we create, but also what drives the people to create it. Because our greatest... I have um, I have a few post-its on my desk that um, our, our marketer, Daniel, has referred to as my little motivational posters. Right, uh, which okay. He's, he's, he's not wrong. Um, mm. But one of them says, your greatest asset is people giving a swear word here. Uh, but just, you know, people really caring. That's your greatest asset. So I deeply, deeply care about what is going to make an author want to write for us or want to work with us or what's okay. going to make a... Um, somebody, a developer, take time out and create a course or write a book, which, let's be honest, pays a lot less than web development, <laughs> mm. but is a totally different experience. And if it can be a pleasant experience and a rewarding experience and something that propels their career or propels their personal growth, then fantastic. I'm really happy that we can make that happen. Okay. Well, um, kind of staying with that point for a bit, um, and looking from the other side, you're talking about sort of editing. What what are, and maybe getting sort of more to specifics, what are the common things that, or at least you found, because you said you stepped away from it um, a little while ago, what were the things that you sort of found with sort of like the recurring mistakes or things that needed to be uh, reworked or adjusted or changed in a piece that someone had submitted? And then second, oh. as a follow-up question, were there sort of consistent things? Yeah, definitely consistent things. Um where to start? 
I'm, I'm hearing, I can just see like the Slack channel. If this was a conversation that was happening live, I can see the Slack channel where our editors chat, mm-hmm. um, just filling up with stuff. And it's, it's just things that we're conscious of. They're not mistakes, uh, but they're habits. And when, let's start with this one. Um, when you're working on a, a project, when you're coding, you don't really need to explain the backstory. Like y- you start where you are mm. and the people, the people on your team are working on their own stuff and you're, you're generally all starting at the same place. You don't need to go back and explain what NPM is. For example, you don't need to think about that kind of stuff in an article. There's a delicate balance between way too much detail. Uh, it's, it's a caricature, but you know, you don't need to start with first, turn your computer on, um, you know, yeah. second, install your text editor of choice. Like you, you really don't need to get to that, that point. Um, but you do get sometimes the very, very, very basic things that, um, and authors will spend a lot of time writing it out. And we, we sort of, um, we started developing, we started writing things called quick tips instead. Uh, and all these ideas, by the way, like all the stuff I'm going to bring up, these are not my ideas. These are ideas that came from either our authors or our editors. Um, oh. I think a lot of the, the great stuff that we've done over the years at SitePoint is not stuff that came from management. Sometimes, you know, once in a while we'll have a good idea, mm-hmm. but in general, it's, it's community led. Um, I can speak to specific editors who've, who've brought just either new tools or a new process or, or new ideas to what we do. Um, but one of them was quick tips was this idea that instead of repeating every time how to do something, we'll just write it once, update it as needed and link to it so that if you are a complete beginner and you're right, you're reading an article that's maybe a little bit above you, uh, realistically, like it's probably too advanced, we'll give you resources so you can still find out how to do the thing. It'll take you longer and you'll have to do some, some digging first and some reading, um, but we'll still we'll still make that information available. And then the opposite uh, is also something that we see very very frequently in people starting way too far in the project or way too far in in whatever they're covering. Mm. Uh, and then sometimes it's it that's when working with an editor is especially helpful. Is saying what's the level of the the person who's going to be reading this? Is there are there prerequisites? Are there things that they need to know before they get to to this post or this course or this book? Um, it helps when you when we label things. So we have we have different series at SitePoint. We have um, Jumpstart and then Novice to Ninja and then Master, which give you an idea of what level you're you're reading at. Okay, um, yeah. So if you're if you're brand new to let's let's say CSS, um, you're not going to start with CSS Master. You're going to start with Jumpstart CSS, mm-hmm. which is uh, the idea is that you'll you'll learn the basics in a weekend and then know enough to at least build a little project and learn from that and then go to the next step and, and learn then. So those, those are really the first two things that come to mind, either too much detail or not enough backstory, not enough detail. Um, and I'd say, let's throw in a third one just, mm-hmm. just because, uh, is writing in a very conversational manner. So at site point specifically, and, and in most writing, I think, especially technical writing, you want to strike the balance between um, technical and authoritative and friendly and approachable. So the guideline that we give our authors is imagine that you're working with a friend and they're bringing you a problem or that you're showing a friend how to do something 
that's how you want to write. And sometimes it's taken a little bit literally. So we get a lot of like and a lot of, uh, <laughs> and, and then, and actually, actually is a huge one. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, one of the first things you can do really with a new author is just search and highlight actually in their document and then go, oh, wow, okay. Uh, you never, ever need to use it really in a technical piece, except mm. in its very literal sense sometimes. So that kind of thing, writing very casually. Uh, if you're not used to, to writing, you're used to maybe emailing people, using social media, um, some writing at work, documentation, and you're trying to strike the balance between conversational and technical and authoritative, mm-hmm. um, that, that can be tough. So I'd say it's it's easier... It's probably a little bit easier to make an overly casual text sound more authoritative. Mm. So you, you can take things out. When a text is very dry, that's when it gets really difficult. And that's when it's harder to um, to kind of bring it back to the middle. Here's, here's two other, two other um, points. How do you strike the tone between um, the person who's writing this knows what they're doing? So you're authoritative, but you don't want to get up into, I, I am the authority here and you are but the humble student. And then also <laughs> there's words yes. which you don't intend to. And well, I, I think most people don't, but by using them, it can unintentionally kind of be condescending such as are oh, this, you know, just, just do these three easy steps. And for you, mm-hmm. it's easy because Simply. You've, you've exactly, Simply, yeah. yes. And there's about, I don't know, like seven other words or something. But for you, they might be because you've done it so commonly. But for the person who they've stumbled across your article, um, they've done related things. So they have enough kind of related knowledge to be at approximately the, the level, but they haven't done this specifically. And they're like, great, it's, that it's easy for you. Does that make me dumb? Or am I yeah. just, are you, am I really not as good as I thought I was? So how do you yeah. kind of say that... Um, trying to indicate a level of, um, oh man, so many words, um, complexity, but with the cutting that fine balance, not too much, not yeah. too little and not being, you, yeah. You want to be helpful. You want the, the guiding theme here is that you want to help somebody with whatever they're doing, or you want to show off your project so that they'll, they'll work on it or, or use it. Um, there are, there are actually words that we ask authors not to use and that our editors are aware of. So things like simply, or you only need to do, uh, or this one's really quick, that kind of thing. <laughs> we really try to avoid um, for exactly the, the reasons you stated. It, it comes off as condescending and our readers can be pretty vocal about this because our readers span such a widespread of, of um, technical ability and knowledge and interests, um, you know, to, to um, to a PHP developer who is learning some JavaScript, nothing's going to be just. This will take two seconds, and and it's easy and mm. and simple. So, and and vice versa, you know, for for pretty much every combination out there. So one of it is awareness. Um, I this is where a great editor and a great community of writers comes in. Okay. I think. You can only take self-awareness so far. After that, you need other people. You need your 
your text to be read by others. And, um, another great innovation that I had nothing to do with <laughs> at some point, <laughs> uh, is, is peer review. Mm-hmm. And that came from one of our, one of our editors, um, who had the great idea of getting authors to work on each other's articles together. We would get pitches for, um, we would get article pitches that were either, they, they just weren't quite there or they were, they were good enough. So we said, okay, go ahead and write the article. Mm. Um, but it needed at least one rewrite. It needed an English edit at the very least. Mm. We get a, we get a lot of, of non-native English, uh, writers. And that's one of our great strengths is that we have people from all over the world writing at SitePoint. but sometimes it means that they, they need a little bit of help and, and, um, other people making sure that the, the text flows smoothly and is legible and is, is strikes that right, that right balance. So that's for the English edits. And then also technically we ask that everybody, you know, checks their code and, and, um, make sure that their tutorial works and is, is accurate. But there's so many little things, just like when, you know, doing QA on your own app can be tough if you, if you're not used to it, because you don't think of logged in, logged out status and cookies and, you know, location if you're local, if you're using localized versions. So we, um, through peer review, we get authors together to review each other's work, both technically and on the English side, mm-hmm. and make suggestions and make sure that everything's accurate. And this this all happens in GitHub. And uh, at first, I remember one conversation where we had um, we had a regular contributor, a very very good author whom I like very very much, but he mm-hmm. uh, he had trouble understanding why we would do this. Weren't we asking authors to put in so much work? I said, well, just give it a shot. Just stick it out. We, we are giving you early access to, to articles, um, which is a, a big selling point for a lot of people. They want that kind of, um, they want to see what others are working on before, before it goes live, but they also get input and we recognize the, the input of other people on those articles because honestly it's, it's tremendous. It's as much work as the editor puts in and sometimes even as much work as the author puts in themselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I think over time that author in particular kind of came around and, and became pretty involved in peer review, seeing the value of it, not just for their own articles and seeing what the, what the contribution was from others, but learning, mm-hmm. learning a ton from contributing to other people's work. There's a big difference between reading casually, reading because you need it for work or for your project and mm. editing something. Yeah, very true. And, uh, yeah, you learn so much more when you're editing because you can't skim you can't just skip to the next section. So, oh, yeah, I know this. You, you actually have to test it. You actually have to read it. Um, so, yeah, that, that it gives it gives our author community a glimpse into what editing looks like and how how it works and what they can um, what they can glean from okay. early versions of text. Okay. Yeah, I've, I found it interesting at um, uh, doing the work at OwnCloud is that uh, a number. Of, well, I think because the company's based in Germany, but they have developers in. I'm, I'm still kind of getting a feel for where everybody is, but I'll just say sort of all over Europe. I'm not sure how diverse. Um, I'll correct myself at some stage, but and you can see when people are writing, you can you can kind of see what they're saying, and you say, okay, I I get the gist of what you you're, you're expressing here, and the code's fine, the code works, or for the most part, it does sort of thing, but. 
for someone who, you know, it, it, it just needs something. It just needs to be refined. It needs to be kind of massaged um, in a couple of ways. So it's, it is an interesting process. And sometimes it is, I've found myself sitting there thinking, actually, no, I thought I understood what you were saying, but I, no, I really don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just, right. Yeah, when you when you give it a proper read. Yeah, and you're sitting there. Yeah, the, and, oh, sorry. The, well, the editing process. Um, you know, in, a, in an era where anybody can publish anything on Medium or on their own blog or wherever, um, there have been questions of do we do we still need sites like SitePoint? Do we need Smashing Magazines? Do Smashing Magazine? Do we need a list apart? Um, yes, to, to, I think we definitely, definitely do for all three, mm. um, and for for all kinds of other publications. You know, CSS tricks. What's what's front end development these days without without Chris? Um, but one of the things that they that they and and we add is that editorial layer is that assurance that what you're reading is going to be accurate, is going to be helpful, and is going to be understandable. A lot of people that I've worked with um, over the years say, oh, I'm just going to, I'll go off and do my own thing and, and write my own blog. And sometimes that works really well. And I'm always, always happy for them. And sometimes they come back and they say, without that community, without other people, it's much harder to get the ideas across. It's, um, it's not. It's not just a, a question of audience size and reach and um, and distribution. It's a question of polishing up the work mm. and how much harder it is to do on your own. Yeah, I even had, for I talented sure. talented authors and talented editors. I had a. Um, I was. I had the good fortune one time. I did a bit of writing for. I think it was Contently. Um, and the person who was to edit one of the pieces I wrote was. I, I am internally, uh, eternally um, indebted to because she she started off quite nicely. Just how she said what she said and what she said were, were, were timeless for me. That she said, "I'm I can see from the writing that you're not you don't come from a journalism background." And <laughs> I said, "No." And she said, "Look, I don't mean that yeah. meanly by what I've said." She said, "There's just certain there's certain things that you do and you don't do that a, a classically trained journalist would do or wouldn't do and so forth." And so, I, you know, I didn't take it like, oh, my God, you know, my, my life's over, I'll jump off a cliff, um, yeah. just to engage in a dad bit of melodrama. Um, but she said, like, I, I, I like how you write, but here's some tips. And the, the thing I remember most was she said, the point about um, y you bring what you know and your skills to it, but it's not about you. She said, "It's so yes. what, what has someone asked you to That's write, right. and what is their publication, and who is their audience?" And um, she said, "So you have to fit into that." And it led into someone else said, "I think it was even Stephen King. I've been on a massive Stephen King buzz of late." Said, "It's not the the reader or the listener's job to figure out what the author or the speaker is saying. It is the job of the author mm. or the reader, and I guess then in addition with the editor as well." to make sure they communicate their point um, such that the reader or listener will understand. I mean, I guess in the point yes. of fiction, there is an element of perhaps question because, you know, you're sort of creating something in someone's imagination. But um, I, th I think outside of that, at least in, in a technical aspect, you know, you have to say, okay, well, who am I writing for and what's the remit? 
and for um, I write a regular column for PHP Architect magazine. And a friend said to me once, because I said I was doing a write-up on um, um, a, a package he created, and he looked and he came back with, uh, and then said, well, I guess, you know, the column is, you know, the remit of the column was an introductory thing. You know, find something and just make people aware of it. Here's a bit of an overview. Here's how you get started. And here's how you can find out more. And I wanted to do a lot more to it because I really liked the package. But the remit of the column was that. It's, it's an intro, it's a get started and a jumping off point. So it, it's, I realize I'm meandering, it's a bad habit, but um, at times it can be hard because you sort of, you want to go so much further. Yeah, you do. You do. And that's, to me, that's the place that, um, that's the place that blogs have. That's one of the many, many things that blogs can do really well and that social media does really well is you, you have that space. You can, you know, you dive into that, into whatever you're, you're working on. Um, there's nobody there to, to sort of limit what you, what you communicate. Um, that, that point you made or that, that Stephen King quote and relating it to fiction is interesting because, um, so I'm a huge fiction nerd. I, uh, I've been on a big reading fictions, reading binge specifically for the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the best parts of that is the discussion is getting together with a friend who has also read the same book and talking about it and seeing their reaction and their, their interpretation and the subtext that they see, and then going to maybe a talk by the author and getting their perspective and, and saying, wow, the, the author had a totally different intent (laughs) and I'm reading so many things into this. Um, there's a fantastic novel I read in 2015 that I still talk about at least once a week. That's how, how much it affected me. Mm. Um, it's called a A little life. Uh, it's very long book, fairly traumatic, Okay, very difficult, very, very, yes, very difficult, um, difficult read, but because it's, it's also very long and because it's so multi-layered, every person who's read it that I've spoken with has this, different understanding. And I went to a talk by the author Mm -hmm. and she just, she's almost overwhelmed by this kind of interpretation, this, this much impact because to her, the story, the story is different. Um, and of course in technical writing, that's what you really don't want to happen. You don't want the story to be different. Um, but that's, that's maybe where the, the more, um, thoughtful pieces come in. And the more, I don't want to say thought leadership. I really don't want to say thought leadership, but cheesy. that's kind of what it is. It's I, I gotta, so cheesy. I gotta say it's cheesy. There's, there's so many terms. And I'll, I'll segue oh, yeah. on the, um, uh, was it business? Oh, hang on. Remembering the, the, the clean version. Business buzzword bingo. I was There was another version to that and I will keep it clean. Um, mm-hmm. And there's just so many words that, um, oh, I'm, 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 Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go out on a limb. Yeah. I, was, I was sitting in a uh, meeting. We, Sorry, yeah? We had notepads at SitePoint um, a couple of years ago that actually had like that printed at the bottom. And I think you would get thrown out of the meeting if you if somebody got a bingo <laughs> off of it. Like, yes! Was, yeah. We, a, we probably have a box of them somewhere. I might, let me see if I can dig them up and maybe we'll yeah, do a giveaway. I'll please. send a couple. I had a boss and he was an old time, I mean, he was younger than I am. I'm in the, what, 40, 41 giveaway there. Um, and he was younger than me, but he'd been a Unix admin for, oh, I 
I think he like he started his career like he was 14 because he just he just loved it he got into it he was good at it but he was very he was kind of an, an a, a typical unix admin just to the point get stuff done no no bs kind of thing and i won't say where i worked and who he was i'll just let somebody infer if they think they know what i'm talking about um the 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 business analysts nice as they were were not that style shall we say and he hated mm-hmm. as a result he hated going to meetings because he's like why, I, why do we have to have an hour to discuss this talk let's make a decision let's move on and then the the extra part was he'd say we're not going to decide anything we're just going to have a meeting then at the end of this meeting we'll then schedule a meeting for the next meeting and so <laughs> and maybe we'll decide yeah exactly but we might not and cutting a long story short you could see him getting very agitated and i just like quick did a quick scramble for like a yeah a, a business buzzword bingo um something on the net and print it out and i've come over and said here take this and he's just grumped he's like what do i want that for i was like look at it he's like don't get it i was like take it with you have a pen ready and i'll chat to you after the meeting and he comes in <laughs> and he, he hollers out and he's like you i'm like what he's like i was one word short of bingo <laughs> i was one word short yep yeah so, that happens uh, it's it's so tough one um one of the big changes that's happened in the last uh six months or so at site mm-hmm. point is that i've changed i've changed roles uh, big big changes for mm-hmm. me not yep. big changes for for the company or for for everybody else i thought there was a big inside um, scoop Nah, not really. Not really. We always, we, you know, we have always got new things, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I get new courses and books and all kinds of stuff. But the, the change I'm referring to really is just that I, um, I changed jobs. Woohoo. Mm-hmm. Massive change to everybody. But, uh, now that it's, it's breaking in operations, it's, it's a ton of meetings and, you know, sometimes it almost feels like therapy just getting through the meetings and it's a lot of work to, craft a good meeting to craft a meeting that people are going to want to go to to see the value of and be convinced that if it's a recurring thing week after week they will get value out of it uh it's something that i'm tremendously conscious of okay i i once had a boss who um he corrected me on this a little bit because i this is when i was working in marketing and um i forget why but i i sort of said hey i need you know can can i get all the devs on this thing to, to come here for, I think it was an hour. It was something ridiculous like that. And, uh, at the end he sort of like, all right, you know, what, um, what do you think the hourly rate is for, for a dev? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah. Okay. And he goes, well, and you had five of them in there. Mm. So do you think, th- yeah. Do you think your meeting was this amount of value? Mm-hmm. And was it was it that much value for you? Was it that much value for the company? Was it that much value for everybody in that room? Um, and I think we went all the way to like, was it value for the for the customers and for the end users? So again, we you know took that pretty far. But that's really it. Like when you when you are in management, you it's a you owe it to your team to make sure that you, everybody's using their time in the best way, in the most fulfilling way, and meetings and buzzwords and all that just really isn't unless you're very again paranoid and cautious <laughs> you see the the string of paranoia comes back mm-hmm. uh, but unless you're very let's say deliberate mm-hmm. unless you're very deliberate about it um it yeah it leads to resentment and just 
not feeling understood by other people and not feeling valued. Can I say that I hate when I'm sitting in a meeting, admittedly, in the last number of years, this hasn't happened often, but I remember one particular experience. I hate when people say in a meeting, oh, let's take that offline. It's like, what do you think this is? We are... Really? Yeah. Whereas I, I love that. I find oh. that so useful. Let's let's put a pin in that. Like, this is... To me, That that's when there's a mini meeting that breaks out mm. and you've got, you've got two people in, let's say, a room of five. You've got mm. two mm. people that just need to, to figure something out. Oh, it's just the word. Ah, see, I, I see that was super valuable. Oh, okay. Ah, it's just the word. No, it's, it's just, sorry, I'm, I'm, in this point here, it's, it's not the action of what you would actually do, as in, like, let's talk about this particular point later. It's just the word. It's like, it, I, I think in that point, I was just so, like, life was just about code. It was purely about that. Yeah. Very sad. I was a very yeah. sad individual, very embarrassing. Don't find, let's, hope, um, don't find any photos of me as a kid. Let's take it to the real world. Let's things like that, and you're like, um, yeah, off the I, offline thing, yeah. And you're sitting there thinking, hmm, no, I'm, I'm touching this bench. It's feeling pretty real. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that air is smelling. Definitely pretty. offline. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah. uh, it's like it, I, you can pick up vernacular and not appreciate you doing it. It just felt really silly. But that's just my beef. It's just yeah. a you know, like it's just me well, being nerdy. If it's if it's not on the buzzword bingo. Then yeah, probably should be. Oh, and we, but we raised things up flagpoles to see if they flew, and we had lots of blue sky thinking. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. I'm sorry. I don't I, want any other kind. I'll hop, I'll hop off the soapbox. I'm sorry. I I don't mean it meanly to the people who are actually doing it. It just felt very, like there there are words for that. There's plenty of other words for that. You know. Anyway, that's my soapbox. I'm gonna hop off, and yeah. I will stop now. So I apologize for my rant. Um, <laughs> I think it's a rant that a lot of people can relate to. You, yes. you are not alone in this. Good, good. I'm among friends. I'm not completely nuts. Um, what I do have to say, though, is we are sort of coming around to about the hour. Um, and this isn't a kind of like an abrupt end bye-bye. I just want to, you know, that if you, you know, you have to head home or you have other things to do, that if you want to keep going, more than more than happy to. I could chat all day. But if, you know, <laughs> Same, but if, actually. I could, I can do maybe another another couple minutes. I've got um, so it's evening time here, and um, um, my excellent husband has cooked dinner, and I should probably head to that eventually. But well, then um, I will definitely be very. Really, mu- yeah, sorry. So this is a very good chat. Good. I don't think I don't think you and I had ever actually like talked before. No, we we chatted on email quite a bit. And I've, I'm very appreciative. Yeah. I remember it now that you sent me like a gift pack of stickers and everything, and I was very super appreciative of that. Oh, that's good. But yeah, I just want to be mindful of your time and respectful of your time and not be just endlessly going and you looking at the clocks like, I really got to go. No, that's fine. I'm looking at my, my little recorder and seeing if it's still going, and we're still good. We're still good. But we can chat for a few more minutes. Sure. Maybe another. Do you have another question, or is there another... I had loads, and I just is there got... another is there another soapbox soapbox? Another soapbox? Oh, nah, only a couple. Um, I did have like a load of questions. I just got lost in listening. Um, sure. Let's see. Let's have a quick look. The one thing I usually do around here is that if there is anything that you want to plug, like you know whether it's <clears throat> excuse me, um, conference that you're chatting at, uh, chatting at, talking at, sorry, presenting at. I'm gonna. This is this is a me thing. 
I say things and I super analyze them thinking, have I been super condescending? And I probably not. How so? Well, just like I say chatting and then I say presenting. Sorry. I have a bad thing of just overanalyzing stuff. So that's just me. I'm going to edit that part out. That's, that's fine. I'm, I am not speaking at any conferences or presenting or doing anything really uh, conference wise. I, I did for a while and I haven't in a little bit. Okay. It's something that I, I really want to get back to. Um, I find it really difficult coming up with talk topics. I was mm. having coffee with somebody who um, organizes one of the big conferences here in Australia and I was, she was asking me if I, you know, if I wanted to put in a pitch mm-hmm. and I find it super difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Something about not coding for a living makes it really hard to see the relevance in what I, I, I would bring uh, to a tech conference. Imposter syndrome. So, yeah, well, <laughs> that would be relevant. Yes, that, that's something certainly I could I could speak to. Um, maybe maybe something on management like I find. I, I didn't used to. I now find management fascinating. And I, mm. I don't know what that says about me. Mm. But the the intricacies of getting a group of people to work together on something and work together, not mm. just work on something, but to work in the same direction and, and really be a team um, and balancing that with all of the business realities mm-hmm. um, the financials and the partnerships and the sales or whatever your, your, your business model is, um, and kind of knowing all the information and make needing to make decisions based on that. I find that fascinating. And, um, I'm not sure that there's a ton of awareness of how interesting it is, or maybe a ton of respect in that, um, in the tech community. True. I'd have to say so. Yeah. I have to agree that I'm not sure if there is, but yeah, I mean, to a lot of people, it's, well, a good manager is one who gets out of my way, to which I totally agree. And I would add a good manager is somebody who removes the roadblocks, who removes the, the, the useless meetings that we were talking about, uh, who removes the the difficult interactions in the day and okay. the, the friction between individuals or between departments or, or in the types of work. Um, to me, that's a good manager, and that's what mm. I try to be. And yeah. that's... Yeah. Such a challenge, such a challenge, but it's really, it's an interesting one. Definitely inspiring. If I, if I do end up making it back to Australia, I'm definitely going to have to, I don't know, have a yarn further because, hmm. Yeah, maybe there's, maybe there's like a, I don't, not a podcast itself, but there's, maybe there is a conference talk in that. I don't know. You tell me, listeners, listeners, let me know. Is that a thing I should do? (laughs) No, I think, I think there, I think there could be because there's, at least an appreciation of how the you know the quote unquote other half lives, if you will, or the other half works. Yeah, yeah. The um, the thing I bring up all the time at work is the concept of empathy. Mm-hmm. I think two things on that. One, we we shy away from bringing emotional concepts to work um, for for very good reasons. And site points are pretty. We're a small company. Um, we all do we all have kind of like a bunch of different roles and we all do things that are widely outside our prescribed role mm-hmm. um but the yeah the concept of empathy is not something that i see very often mm-hmm. in management and in, and in work in general uh but to me when you add it to the mix 
then it just, everybody works better because they're conscious. So if you're conscious that your manager is a human being and is trying their best, uh, and if your manager is, is aware of the same and not just of the fact that you're human, but the fact that you have a family and you have, um, kids and bills and stressors outside of work, uh, or they're aware that you work very well in a, in a certain way and they're not going to ask you to change that. Mm-hmm. Like that's really, really valuable. Okay. I'm going to have to ponder on that. I have to sort of, sort of sit and then mull that over, I think. But um, at that point, since, you know, it's, it's about that time, how about um, I will be, um, again, very uh, appreciative of the time to chat with me. Of course, it's a pleasure. I'm really glad that we um, that you got in touch that we did this. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun, um, and I'll have to. Um, I think you've actually sort of gotten and inspired me to sort of start being a bit more active in sort of peer review of some SidePoint articles. So I hope to um, between um, being cried at because um, someone doesn't want to go to kindergarten and uh, and being <laughs> I, thr- that's uh, that's not the coworkers. No, <laughs> no, no. Oh, that's sorry. That was a bit loud. Um, no, my, my little miss, uh, love her as I do. Uh, you know, she hmm. is absolutely daddy's little girl. But, uh, yeah, it. I would like to spend a bit more time working and a bit less time negotiating about putting a jacket on or you do want to go to kindy today because you always want to go to kindy. And yeah, so you know. you'll, you'll love it when you're there. You'll love it when you're there. Yeah, just like every other day. It's like, why, why, why are we going through these motions again? So... Yeah, I'm well, going to hopefully get a better rhythm and then I can get more time. Sounds good. Well, if, if you, um, I know that you are already familiar with the process, but if anybody who's listening isn't, um, there is a an article that was published on the JavaScript channel of SitePoint um, pretty recently about peer review. And uh, our PHP editor, Bruno, who's actually the one who, who started this, who had the, the great, great idea uh, of starting this and who mentors other editors and other um, authors in using peer review, he's written several guides. So if you just Google SitePoint peer review, uh, it gets you to, or, or sorry, I shouldn't say Google, use your search engine of choice mm-hmm. and um, find SitePoint peer review. There's plenty in there about how to get involved and it doesn't need to be super technical. We really, really welcome uh, contributions from people who just want to English edit or uh, help edit for understanding and for clarity and for flow. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice way to dip your toe into peer review before getting full-on technical. Excellent. All right, I'll have links to, uh, to all that and the other uh, important stuff we talked about in the show notes. And yeah, thank you very much for the chat. My pleasure. Anytime. So what did you think of the fireside discussion with Ophelia? Personally, um, I was having a great time just sort of, you know, posing those questions and and getting to know more. I hope that you enjoyed all the information that she shared. I I hope you appreciate just how uh, articulate she is, just how much she doesn't meander like I do, Um, how well she can put a point across and articulate things and and how, you know, so she talked about the importance of, of such things as having a good editor and having a good reviewer. How people caring can be your greatest asset. There's loads more in there. I, I hope that you got a lot out of it. I hope that you maybe will revisit the episode a couple of times. If you want to get any more information on that, make sure that you check out freethegeek.fm forward slash episode 
forward slash episode hyphen zero zero two three. That's freethegeek.fm forward slash episode forward slash episode hyphen zero zero two three. If you want to know anything more about the show, if you want to know what's coming up, a list of all the previous episodes, check out freethegeek.fm and you'll find there everything that you need to know. If you want to be on the show, tweet me anytime. You can find me on Twitter at freeingthegig. Um, I'm happy to chat at any time, answer any questions, um, and yeah, even have you on the show if you've got a great story to share. And I'll see you in two weeks' time where I have a chat with the wonderful, the ever um, giving and sharing, the founder of Laravel himself, Mr. Taylor Rodwell. <laughs>